You're listening to the Big Cast C-Suite Edition, your source for leadership insights and inspiration with John Jan Clays. Hello, everyone. John Janclays here. Welcome to December's edition of C-Suite Interviews. Happy to have you join us for this month's episode. It's the last one of the year. Can you believe it? 2017 went by so fast, and I believe it probably did for you, too. One of the highlights for me this year was doing this show, getting to meet some tremendous people that were the guest of C-Suite Interviews, starting with Howard Bahar, who was the former board member from Starbucks and president of North America Operations, Also, Jim Klein from Trex Corporation, if you remember, he was here. He's the CEO of that group. Uh, Mike Agenda, a consultant with the Boston Consulting Group, or Tom Hogan, CEO for Coney Incorporated. I can go on and on. We've had executive coaches, consultants, and other thought leaders on the show. And uh, it's helped again make me better. It's helped me to work through 2017, focusing on some of their best practices and, you know, I thought that would be a good place to, to end this year is to do kind of a montage of some of the highlights from our discussions with our guest. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to play those for you. Um, but before we do, I wanted to tell you a little bit about 2018, kind of a preview of coming attractions. And I wanted to share with you that um, in 2017, as the CEO of Partners Federal Credit Union, One of the challenges that we've been facing is are we moving through the digital transformation fast enough? We know an awful lot about running brick and mortar, but what about running the digital credit union and how is that journey going? And um, when I talk to my peers, this is probably one of the most challenging aspects of the job. And as, as I began to think about the challenge at Partners, I thought, wonder what I could do in order to accelerate our development. Um, In fact, recently, the co-op just published a wonderful research paper that included responses from executives talking about their thoughts about this digital transformation. And that what was really shown in that research report was that the gap between our desired state where we want to be and our progress against that could be faster in most people's minds. We've said that we probably need to put more investment, more intention uh, against those objectives than we're currently doing. So with that as kind of the backdrop, what we're doing at Partners Credit Union is we're trying to accelerate our digital transformation by a factor of two. So the amount of releases, the amount of improvements, the amount of access and convenience that we're granting our members, we'd like to do it twice as fast. And to do that, we know we're going to have to profoundly change the way that we operate. We are traditionally what most credit unions are is a waterfall shop. And we're going to be moving into Agile. But to do that, we know we needed to bring some trusted partners with us. And so we're kicking off uh, a two-month journey to see if we can actually move the 2X. And the partners we're bringing in is Coney Incorporated. Uh, They are a fintech company specializing in mobile and online uh, delivery. And uh, so we've brought them in for that technical aspect to help us. The other thing is that uh, the Boston Consulting Group is going to come in and help us learn about Agile. Uh, They've been consulting on these issues at very large financial services firms, insurance companies, and they are a good guide to how to make progress against the goal of 2X. So one of the things I learned in graduate school is that if you have to teach a subject, you learn it on a whole different level. If you have to report on something, there's a whole different level of accountability and work that you do. 
So we're going to use that principle at Partners, and what we're going to do is prepare a documentary about our journey in trying to find 2x and uh, report it here on the show and uh, at the CEO Corner and on the Best Network and in other venues. We want to share our journey with the idea that, hey, there's a lot that we can learn, uh, probably a lot what not to do as well as what to do. And we think that would be a great way for us to advance our mission and at the same time be part of the cooperative movement, which has always been based on collaboration and sharing. And so we're going to do a documentary to do that. So uh, as we get into 2018, start to look for some uh, updates and communication about that. A part of it is going to be blogs, some of it will be podcasts, some of it will be videos. Um, but over a two-month period, we'll be reporting on our progress. And frankly, uh, as confident as I am in the team that we've always been able to pick very kind of audacious goals and go after them, this one is pretty hairy. And um, I'm sure we're going to report to you a lot of what not to do, as well as some insights about things that work. So we're excited about that work. Happy to share that with you here at this network and other outlets and uh, look forward to that coming anytime. Okay, so back to today's episode. Uh, again, this is a montage on leadership thoughts from people from across the business spectrum and, and people who um, I really appreciate for donating their time and coming on C-Suite interviews. Okay, first up is my first interview with Howard Bahar, and I have to apologize to our listeners. This was my very first podcast, and I was using my cell phone, of all things, to record the interview with Howard. But the wisdom from him is uh, worth replaying. So here is... Uh, Portions of my interview with Howard Bahar. At the end of the day, you know, I, I, you know, everybody asks that question. Well, what, what is it you want at the end of your days? And I said, well, here's how I want to be evaluated. I want to be evaluated by what I did or didn't do for people. So people have a right to criticize me for what I didn't do and to tell and to compliment me or evaluate me based on what I did do. And so at the end of the day, there's a whole bunch of pluses and minuses that add up. And so as long as I have been in the plus side for what half what I did for people, then I'll be happy. Is that how you deal with your failures or when you come up short is knowing, hey, it's both sides of the ledger that, that we're looking at here. Is that how yeah. you approach it? Yeah, yeah you have okay. to because, look, you don't live your life without screwing up, period. You know, yeah. I mean, we're emotional beings and, you know, I have... I have my good days and I have my bad days. And some days I don't live up to my own expectations. I don't live up to my mission statement and uh, of nurturing and inspiring the human spirit. And that's not only with myself but with family or with friends or acquaintances. And I try to fix that, but sometimes I, you know, I'm, I don't realize it and I have broken trust with somebody. But, uh, but at the end of the day, I hope that there have been more pluses and minuses. And, and that's how I try to live my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm really aware, you know, I'm not, I, I have good antenna. And so I know for the most part when I've screwed up and I try to clean it up and fix yep. it and own it. And that's yep. all we can do, right? Yeah. That sounds like that's the advice you might give somebody who's aspiring to be more, do more as an executive is yeah. see things they really are. And what else would yeah. you tell them? And well, and be open, you know, you know, probably every boss is, is, said that they have an open door policy and come talk to them anytime. The problem is is most of us don't really mean that, you know. Somebody comes in and we're busy and we kinda of roll our eyes and say, Can't you see I'm busy? We may not say it but but you know, it's it's kinda of like that and and but, you know, we've got to pay attention to people. You know, we have to give people our time and our 
our real listening skills, not just the things that with our ears, but with our whole heart, with our whole being. And, you know, we have to, our, you know, what's the number one thing that we do as leaders is help our people be, become better human beings and to grow as individuals. That's about all you can do, you know. And if you do that, if you try to do that as best as you can and you get, whoops, and you get a bunch of successes, uh, you know, then that's good. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can't and uh, or you don't. But I, I think for the most part I have in my life, and that's what I want to evaluate myself on. Well, I, you know, my life's work is about people. You know, my mission statement is to nurture and inspire the human spirit every day, beginning with myself first and then for others. And I say self first because I've learned that I have to take care of myself first physically and emotionally if I'm going to help anybody else. But I live my life like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I've had a good day when I've done something for somebody else. Most of the time it's things that people don't even know about. I have this game I play with myself, you know. Every day I have to pick up a piece of paper off the street in Seattle where I live. And the good part is I live downtown there's an endless supply of inventory. <laughs> but I, but I, you know, it's doing little things for people every day and uh, trying to make the world a better place in some way. Sometimes I get to do things like this. Sometimes I give, give speeches. Sometimes I coach. Whatever it happens to be, you know. And, you know, it's, you know, you never know in life whether you really have helped somebody or not. You know, I pick up a piece of paper, that's easy for me to see. But the rest of it, you know, only only that human being can tell you, and it's only over some period of time. And sometimes you hear back, but most of the time you don't. You just have to trust, you have to trust uh, the world. You know, you have to trust nature, that what you do has value. And hopefully if you don't, people will tell you. This next segment is with Tom Hogan, President and CEO of Coney Incorporated, probably one of the most thoughtful and articulate guests on talking about concepts of leadership. I wish I could replay the whole interview for you, but these are just portions of the interview that I thought were uh, particularly insightful. Here's Tom Hogan. And I think, you know, we share a desire to, to be an exemplar of, of leadership and, and servant leadership in, in particular. Um, I make an effort to try to put the well-being of the people I lead ahead of myself. Um, I would tell you, it, it can't be lip service. Um, it's got to be genuine and actionable. Um, and I think it's uh, particularly important as the size of the organization you lead grows. So, you know, as an example, if you're, you know, part of a three-person law firm, then there's a bigger premium on the job and the tasks that you perform every day. But conversely, if you have the privilege uh, to lead hundreds or thousands of people, um, what you do every day personally is dwarfed by the impact you can have on thousands of other people. So, and by the way, you know, people are a lot smarter than credit <laughs> for, right? And they're intuitive and they know, I mean, they can sniff out, they know when leaders really care uh, and when they don't. And I believe if it's the former, uh, the people that you have the privilege to lead will walk on hot coals and, and do almost anything to follow and contribute uh, to the success of the mission or the organization. And I would also tell you that after, you know, it's my personal journey, after, you know, 35 years, uh, while I, I believe I've clearly evolved, uh, I also know that I have an equally clear opportunity to improve and, and get better as a leader. 
This next segment is with Tony Battelle, the CEO of CU Direct. Uh, during our interview, I asked Tony about folks who have impacted his leadership style, um, which I would describe Tony as humble, giving credit to the folks on his team and those around him, and a great person of observation about what other people do well to emulate. So here's Tony Battelle. You know, I, I through the years, I've always uh, looked for the, the ones that are you know the big the big players in, in whatever uh, organization I'm, I'm in, and uh, and you know since I've been in credit unions for so long, I've been able to go to which you and I were just at the summer roundtable meeting, uh, and I've been going for many many years, and uh, so I've been able to see the uh, the Ed Callahans and the Rudy Hanleys, even the Bill Brocksterman's back when I first started the league was there, so they were always ins- inspirational. The, the guy probably the the most inspirational to me has been, uh, he just passed away last year is Dick Johnson. Mm. Uh, I thought he was an incredible leader and, uh, just how he approached, uh, uh, you know, the personalization of, you know, cause again, as much as everything's turned in so high tech these days, he was a very, you know, it's still a people world, right? It's a people business. And, and I loved how he encouraged you. I've got so many notes that, uh, and you might have some too. He was a, great note writer dick johnson was he'd send you a note saying hey i really think you did a great job at this and you know and just encourage you you know and and, and he i didn't even work for dick johnson at the time you know? yeah. I mean, just do this kind of thing so it was a uh, it, that was always inspiring and again i have a, i've had a great um board of directors over the years and you know ceos of of very successful credians and they've always been um uh inspiring to me Oh, this next interview was with one of my favorite people and mentors, Professor Jenny Durock, the dean of the Drucker Business School. And I could have spent hours with Jenny talking about her thoughts on leadership. You know, she travels the world globally representing the Peter Drucker legacy and the Claremont Colleges. And uh, she is always so articulate about what is happening with leadership, where she thinks it's moving, because it is moving and it is changing and uh, her thoughts about that. So here's a little portion of that interview. Leadership, I, I think leadership's a really interesting term, and I think, you know, when we go back to the way you framed the question about who are we training, who are our customers, if we're looking at younger, uh, actually, I don't even like using the word younger, less experienced, because, uh, you know, even now our career paths are really quite different, but what we're looking for are people who can at a more junior level who can make research or data-informed decisions, and that's what we're trying to train. So if you look at business analytics, for example, it can't just be data for the sake of data. We need to train people who can feed into strategic decision-making that need to be made and can see the use of data in context. As we get to the middle of our careers, we are the people making decisions. As we get to the top of our careers, we need to enable other people to make decisions. So I think in terms of just understanding who our customers are across the, the, the spectrum. But I think in terms of, I mean, there are lots of definitions of good leaders, and I'm, you know, I have my own point of view, but what we're training for, we look at five different characteristics that we're, we're trying to enable. And we borrow again from Drucker. We look at the Drucker School of Thought, and there are five principles that Drucker taught us that, well, there are many principles. We've distilled them into five buckets. We have a strong belief that leaders have to pay attention to a function 
society. Mm. And, and we need to look outside the boundaries of our organisations and pay attention to what we do to and for society. We're employers, we're neighbours, we're taxpayers, we're customers. And, and it's not good enough just to look at our business with an isolation. And this is a tough conversation for many people to have. For example, if we look at unemployment or underemployment and we look at disenfranchised groups of society within our neighbourhood, we could say we're not our problem. You know, it doesn't impact us. Well, actually, it does and it should. And even though we have discussions about poverty at national level, you know, what can we do as business leaders to impact our neighbourhoods to make them a, a better functioning place? You know, do we have that discussion about what should we pay people? Do we have that discussion about providing opportunities for people who have been marginalised? marginalised somehow by society, and that, that does, it doesn't take much to be marginalised by society, it's not, you know, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not the obvious marginal groups. Number two, we believe that we should lead through people, and, and a good leader should look at people and look at the assets and the skills and the, the, the gifts that each person brings, we should lead through people, we need to embrace diversity, treat people with respect, leverage the talent of those around us. Number three, we believe that if we can't manage ourselves, we can't manage other people. So we pay a lot of attention to self-management. Number four, we, we like to hold people accountable for results. So we believe in driving accountability right down through the organisation, making people own the results that they're going to be on the hook, if you will, to, to provide. And finally, we, we believe in lifelong learning and the need to look across transdisciplinary boundaries. You know, it's not good enough now to just solve a marketing problem by just looking at the marketing literature. You know, we might need to look at history or philosophy or religion or sociology or psychology to help us solve some of the most complex problems that we deal with as managers and leaders. So, you know, there are lots of different ways of looking at leadership, but at the Druggist School, we, we try and inspire people to, to check the boxes across these five areas and, of course, be well-trained in functional areas that you're representing as well. This next interview is with Dr. David Berger. As many of you know, Dr. David has been my executive coach for about 10 years now and helps us run our leadership development program at Partners Credit Union. Um, I hear a lot of leaders talk about that they've had somebody who's really impactful in their life who was kind of a game changer. And for me, if there was anybody in my leadership development, it's Dr. David Berger. Uh, look forward to hearing more from David on future episodes coming up and you can tell just from this little excerpt, if you've not seen the or heard the full episode, uh, David is just chock full of knowledge and experience on the subject. And uh, so without further delay, here's a few moments with Dr. David Berger. Yeah, there are many changes in the role of leaders these days. And you're right. For one thing, the pace and complexity has increased so much so that simplistic solutions no longer work. Uh, you know, in the, back in the so-called good old days, uh, you could do a lot of trial and error, which is still very important to do because that's the way we gather data. An easy answer would come up pretty quickly. Now that it's more complex than that, you just can't do an easy answer. So I think that there are a few sort of perennial ideas that work. I consider them principles, not answers per se. Uh, but they tend to work most of the time. Uh, for example, I think leadership is an inside-out process. Uh, you know, clean up your own act before you take it on the road. Because <laughs> people are tired of egocentric leaders. Mm -hmm. They want people that are 
um, doing their own work internally before they're interacting with you. They, they look up to people like that. They choose to follow leaders that are doing their own work and that they're thinking about the whole system. Um, and in order to do that, I think the idea, the principle is to start with purpose uh, and then get to the how-tos and later focus on the, what are we, you know, what are we delivering? Uh, most leaders, I think, inexperienced, start with the what. You see organizations do that. They try to sell what they sell. If you're selling computers, well, you know, I got this big of a screen, this many megabytes, <laughs> it goes this fast. Well, what's the <clears throat> what's the competitive advantage of that? Mm. Not much, mm. because everybody's doing something like that. And, and that goes to the individual leader. What you bring to the party uh, is really going to make the biggest difference is what's your sense of purpose. Mm professional and personal purpose. And then how do you do that? How do you actually get that applied in reality so that we get close the gap between real and ideal? That's the kind of a principle that I think really uh, upcoming executives need to focus on. Why am I here? What do I bring to the party? How do I get it out there and make it accessible to people? Yeah. And I think in the old days, the principle was more about uh, you had to have the right answer. And that led to a lot of leaders being very egotistical, trying to answer everything. And that pretty much gets in the way of individuals' autonomy, because if it's just top-down, uh, what's the reason for them being there? I think there's an equivalent to the saying that you're the average of the five people that you hang around with in leadership development. I think you're lucky if you can say, I have one super mentor that I've met. Earlier in this podcast, you heard from Jenny Durock. David Berger, uh, two people who have been um, companions on my trek to become a good leader. There's also another one who you're about to hear from, who's Micah Jendel, partner at the Boston Consulting Group. And he is a close confidant and consultant to CEOs uh, who are trying to transform their organizations and transform themselves. And in our interview, Micah was sharing some of his areas of focus. Uh, he walks his talk, and here's a little bit about his thoughts on leadership and how he's molding and growing himself as a leader. How do you cultivate the things that you need to know? It's amazing the depth yeah. of things that you have to know. No, it's, it's absolutely, it really is. And, you know, from a, from a leadership perspective, there are just a couple of things that, that I really try to do when I'm planning on a, on an annual basis and not, not more frequently. One, one is I really try to find opportunities to get out of my comfort zone. So I really try to say, I'm not going to stay comfortable. I'm not just going to be comfortable with my uh, current client base. I'm going to try to set up new network nodes and in areas that might not be in my, my area of focus. So, you know, in the past, for example, I focused a lot on the mortgage topic. This year, I'm going to try some more technology type topics, some leadership development for our client type topics. I'm going to work with some more insurers in the U.S. where I haven't focused as much on that. And it's just all about learning. But I've just found learning by doing, putting myself in the fire, forcing myself to do that is the way that I'm going to continue um, to evolve. So that, that's one thing. The second thing is really trying to work with new people. So whether that's within BCG or outside of BCG, I found working with different styles sometimes makes me uh, uncomfortable, but I learn a lot from them. And a lot of that has been around diversity. 
Um, so really, whether that's their backgrounds, male, female, um, different ethnicities, any type of background, I find I'm just learning so much as I'm watching them, them, them work and giving, giving them, um, opportunities. And, and the third thing is feedback. I find feedback really important. We are at BCG a heavy feedback culture. After every project that a team member's on, they get feedback. Um, we have an annual survey where every partner can get feedback from anyone on their team. And it's very open. It's very transparent. We have um, mentors, formal mentors who are assigned to us. And that's the most powerful thing for me because it really helps me set my, my agenda. And it only works if you have an open culture at your company. And fortunately we do. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm more than fine to say, you know, last year, one of the topics for me was um, giving my teams more space to work on their own. And I hadn't realized I was doing that, you know, just the kind of more control I was doing. But having that feedback and then going to specific trainings um, outside of BCG on how do you let go? How do you how do you make sure you're you're balancing yourself the right way? And then asking my teams for input face to face and being in a culture where they're willing to do that has completely opened up the, the ability to develop and, and to to hold myself um, accountable to to constantly evolving. So one of the things I love about consulting is you're always in these new experiences and you're just compelled to continue to, to develop. And then John, one other thing on this is outside of BCG. And so I think outside of CEOs environments, it's really important to develop. And so stage I am in my career and um, the success I've, I've had at BCG and with my clients, I'm now thinking about how can I give back to the community? That's the next evolution for me. And so participating, I'm participating in a nonprofit board right now, I'm trying to get really active in my community in other ways and leadership abilities out there, I'm finding are providing enormous value to me in terms of learning um, uh, that I'm doing with my day-to-day job. One of the most challenging and exciting environments for any executive to work in is the boardroom. I had an interview with Matt Fulbrook. I think you'll remember that Matt is from the University of Toronto from their governance school, and he consults with board of directors about how to make the boardroom more effective. And this portion of the interview is talking about what is the optimal time to have someone like Matt come in and help both management and volunteers or the board of directors find even a more effective operating environment. So here's a few moments from that discussion. Look, our our organization is absolutely on fire with the relationship we've got inside the boardroom and with the management team is wonderful. And we've got an opportunity here to take a step back and optimize our composition, optimize our processes, optimize, optimize our time allocation, maybe do a little bit of education to get us ready for something even better. And we don't have the distractions of crisis or crisis may be a little bit too dramatic. We don't have the distractions of real life you yeah. know, getting yeah. in the way. And we can just take a step back and make things as good as possible without those distractions. So that's the best time. Um, the worst time would be a time of crisis. I, I mean, I've, I really tend to turn away governance work when a board is in emergency mode. 
because what happens is even if we work really hard on crafting um, solutions to problems that exist today, those problems tend to be very transient when you're in crisis mode. Things can one day to the next get much, much worse or much, much better, and the solutions that you've crafted can immediately become obsolete. And some, and you need something either more fine-tuned or what happens is when as things get better, the crisis solutions end up being completely irrelevant very quickly. And you say, man, I wish I'd spent time crafting something that was looking toward the future instead of crafting something that was designed to, to get us through a crisis. And this is strictly from a governance perspective. I mean, sometimes governance solutions are crucial during a crisis, and that doesn't, I'm not trying to say that I won't go there, but it's certainly not the best time. Yeah, it just reminds me of the idea of you know urgent and important, right? If everything is urgent yeah. and as a management practice, um, that doesn't work, right? We're behind the curve instead of getting ahead of it, as you're as you're explaining, you know. Exactly. Well, everyone, that concludes our summary of some of the highlights from C-suite interviews for 2017. I hope that your year end is happening and that you have as many highlights to celebrate. I want to thank you for listening to the show and for sending comments about how to get better. We're already starting on 2018 on curating a great roster of guests. We'll hear from, of course, uh, executives who work in the corner office and the coaches and the consultants that all help us uh, perform our jobs there. Also, I'm really looking forward to reporting out on the documentary about our credit union's journey to try to move our digital transformation twice as fast to X with our partners, Coney and the Boston Consulting Group. We'll report out on our failures as well as some of our successes, all valuable information and all part of the credit union movement and spirit about collaboration and learning together because uh, together we can really do amazing things for American households. So from all of us at the Big Cast Network, thank you so much for listening to us this year. Enjoy the holidays, and we'll see you real soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Big Cast C-Suite with John Janclays. To learn more or connect with John and the CEO Corner, please visit theceocorner.com. And we always welcome you to join in on our conversation. You can connect with the Big Cast Network directly by tweeting us at BigFintech, emailing us at info at big-fintech.com, or visiting our website at bigfintechmedia.com.